Welcome to A Moment with Divine. I am your host, Divine Huff, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. So last week, we did not have a show because I was in Detroit, Michigan, celebrating my best friend's new child with her baby shower. It was amazing. We went to go see Lauren Hill. It was fantastic. The show was great. She was three hours late, but we won't complain. And I'm back safely. And I'm so happy to be here in the studio with Justin Comer. And before I bring him on, I want to give a little bit of an introduction with him. We just met the other day at our pre-interview, but we got into contact with each other through a mutual friend, Erica Nari Martinez, who has been on the show before. She is an international artist, and she suggested that we would be on each other's shows, and upon meeting him, I immediately felt that that energy was there and that that would be an amazing idea. He has such a great spirit. It's infectious. He can just light up up a room with his smile and with his energy and anytime you're around him I feel like you feel like you're with a friend I feel like he would be a great friend and without further ado I bring my new friend and your now guest Justin Comer Justin how are you I'm good how are you, Divine? I'm doing well. Thanks well, for that intro. That was really nice. Yeah. And um, and oh, I forgot to mention that you are the host of I Hear, I See right, right here on KRUI. That's right. I do that on Sundays here at KRUI. Yeah. Uh, 4 p.m. usually. Nice. Nice. So is it is it a little surreal to be on the other side of the mic? Like, yeah, this are is you, this are is you? my first time on this side of the desk, so yeah. it's different. <laughs> so welcome to the studio as a guest. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I know it feels kind of comfortable in here because of your show, but, right? Right. You know, but I have a few questions for you. Sure. Let's All right. Hear it. So let's get to it. So let's talk radio. How did you get your start in radio? Yeah. So I I started doing uh, the I Hear I See radio show back in October of 2017. So mm. it's it's still a relatively new thing for me. Um, I made friends with Asa Crow, who's the program uh, the outgoing programming director of KRUI. Uh, we met doing politics stuff a couple years ago, and uh, she encouraged me to start doing a radio show to spin off of a, a concert series that I help organize, which is also called I Hear I See. Wow. See, Asa is very encouraging in getting oh, people yeah, into definitely. the door and getting people experience and things like that. And we're so lucky to have you. So tell us more about your show. What can we expect from it? If we listen to it, what what is it all about? Sure. So it's all about uh, music and, and arts in general that's being made here in Iowa City. So I, I feature... Uh, you know, recordings of music and poetry from uh, from live shows here in town, and I also try to get guests in as much as I can. Uh, and that's you know musicians of all sorts, like singer songwriter types, uh, more experimental improvisation kind of stuff, as well as uh, we've had poetry, we've had dancers on the shows. Wow! Yeah, and it started as a concert series, as I mentioned. That was founded in I think 2009 and I've been helping organize that with my friend Carlos Cotayo Solaris since uh, fall of 2015. So do people t- share their stories while they perform like about tours or like crazy fans or <laughs> or even or even the conception of how songs were made you know? Yeah to some extent um, most of the people that we have on the show are sort of uh are really locally based. Some of them are just getting started out in their creative careers, so they're not not touring quite as often as uh, as you know more seasoned professionals mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, but but yeah, we do have a few uh, regular performers who like to get into how they write songs and like where 
life stories that bring them to this creative outlet, stuff like that. Can you share one of the craziest stories that you've heard? Hmm. Well, uh, you know, it doesn't get super crazy, but uh, <laughs> or the most, or like interesting stuff, like sure. you know, oh man, I stepped on a crack and my mom really did break her back. <laughs> That's so never I wrote happened. A song about it, uh, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so this guy, uh, Joe Sorensen, who we have on the show pretty regularly, mm-hmm. uh, he he's a singer songwriter. He plays guitar and piano, and he writes his his songs. And he's been releasing music since he was, I think, fifteen or sixteen. He's been putting out albums since high school. So he, what's crazy about that is that he's playing music that he wrote as a teenager. Wow. And like in the time since then, he's, you know, matured quite a bit. So he's telling us stories about, you know, like staying in his room, writing these like angry teenager lyrics <laughs> <laughs> and, and just like how it's like, it means a totally different thing to him now, but he's still able to perform it and it's, it like brings him back, but also he can reflect on, you know, where he was at that time and like how much he's grown since then. That is so cool. You know, a song would be kind of like a bookmark in your life, right? Oh yeah, definitely. It's, it's like keeping a diary, but in a more public fashion. Yeah. (laughs) A diary that everyone reads. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So it's very vulnerable. Yeah, definitely. So how did you get into music? What was your start? Uh, yeah. So it goes way back for me. I can remember, uh, I can remember joining the chorus at my elementary school. It's uh, Brownell Elementary in Lincoln, Nebraska. I remember. Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many uh, listeners are familiar with the school, but, <laughs> uh, but I started singing there in third grade in the chorus. Uh, I picked up a violin the year after that. And then the year after that, I picked up a saxophone. And that's what I stuck with for the most part. I still play sax pretty frequently. That's my main gig. And a little bit of guitar, am I right? Yeah, I did. Uh, my So my grandfather died before I was born. Oh, no. Well, I didn't know him. but oh, okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But he, he played guitar at church and stuff. And so he had a, uh, my grandma had his old guitar in her house for a long time. And then I think for my 12th or 13th, it was either birthday or Christmas, she got that old guitar fixed up and gave it to me. <gasps> So I sort of started teaching myself a little bit of guitar, and I played it at uh, at church and stuff in high school. Wow, that's magical. Yeah, it's pretty cool to have a, a family heirloom a like heirloom. that. Heirloom, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and part of his spirit is in you. He passed that down. Yeah, despite us never meeting, you know, right. here on right. Earth. Right, <laughs> exactly. It's funny how genetics works, you know? So would you consider yourself a vocalist or a musician? Uh. I don't sing that often, mm-hmm. so I, I consider myself more of an instrumentalist. Okay. And saxophone's where my training is at, so that's what I, I feel I am the most. Okay, okay. So talk about different ways of seeing that instrument instrumentalist persona, like improvisation and composer and musician. Like, how can you break those down? Okay, so I, I would... Uh, we talked about this a little bit. I bill myself yeah. in this order. Saxophonist, composer, improviser. Mm. So I've been playing saxophone since I was nine. So that's that's what's been with me the longest of my creative uh, tools, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and then I started taking lessons when I was 15. And that's around when I decided, like, I was going to take this a little more seriously. I decided to go to college for music. So I... I got my undergrad degrees in saxophone and composition. And then uh, later on, I sort of, I feel like improvisation is a kind of a combination of those two sides, mm. like a performance aspect with my saxophone training and then composition, you know, the uh, thinking about writing ideas the in music. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So combining those into improvisation, which is kind of a, a composition in the moment using my performance tools. Mm-hmm. 
let's talk a little bit more about improvisation because sure. a lot of people think improv and they think funny people on a stage. Yeah, they think about comedy. And they think improv, about comedy. Yeah. You know, they think about just making things up on the fly mm-hmm. and things like that, which is partially true. You know, making things up on yeah, the fly, yeah. but but there's so much more that goes into it. What what else can you say about improving music? Okay, well, most people uh, are familiar with jazz improvisation, I assume. Uh, that's sort of the main American music that involves improvisation. Uh, and that's that's not really what I do. Jazz is more about, like, improvising over chord progressions, and it's a very, like, specific medium. Uh, but music improvisation for me is a little bit more... Uh, about impulse and you know not not thinking theoretically but thinking uh intuitively and like trying to explore as much musical thought as i can uh what was the question (laughs) exactly yeah just to go deeper into (laughs) improv because you know people usually associate it with just comedy but but it's also like what you were saying is not just following specific rules Mm -hmm, i think that mm -hmm. that's what i heard you yeah yeah so i'm I'm thinking about it more as like trying to find new sounds trying to trying to fill fill a certain amount of time with a musical idea and developing it as a performance rather than as uh as a pre pre thought out thing like a composition would be mm-hmm. uh i'm basically doing the compositional process in front of people on a stage or whatever and uh it's i think it's more fun to do with other people rather than just by myself <laughs> <laughs> because uh and i, I think that's kind of the same play with off uh, of each other yeah it's kind of the same with comedy and improv. build yeah, you bounce off of bounce each other. Bounce off each other. Uh, give each other ideas. Yeah, develop each other's ideas. Uh-huh. Uh, and you can you can just sit back sometimes. You don't have to be playing the whole time because someone else is there covering it too. <laughs> and uh, hmm, what else should we should we explore with improvisation? Oh yeah, we we talked a little bit about free play. The the that book. book. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah and that that's my connection to uh, to dance improvisation because mm-hmm. I, I work with dancers quite a bit here at the university. Uh, and so that's another sort of group improvisation, but it's two different, uh, two different mediums completely. So there's maybe a group of dancers and then I'm making music to accompany them, but not just to accompany them. I'm also exploring my own sort of artistic ideas. That's not like totally dependent on what they're doing Mm -hmm. and they're doing the same. They're listening to what I'm doing. But their dance doesn't have to like conform to what I'm making. It's they're cooperating or sometimes even fighting, I guess. Wow. Who's who's improvising more interestingly? <laughs> <laughs> so there could be tension there. There can, yeah. And I think that's I think that's interesting to watch. Oh, totally. Like improvisation with tension instead of just uh you know, helping each other. Yeah. Maybe hindering each other. <laughs> Had you seen a video, like there was this video on Facebook of a man playing piano without touching the keys. Mm, I don't think I he have. He was actually dancing. And oh, wait. They were, I did. He has like, he uh, has, like sensors and stuff, sensors right? Sensors on yeah. his back. Yeah. And yeah, as I did he see dances, that. the keyboard moves. Mm-hmm. I've seen uh, some stuff kind of like that. My friend Jason Palomara, who I work with a lot, um, he, he got his PhD in composition here at the university. I think he finished that in 2015. And part of his uh, his PhD dissertation was uh, was something like that because he worked with dancers a lot too. So he was very into motion and how that can uh, create music. So he developed this glove that a dancer would wear, and it's got uh, like little sensors on it that can tell when you when you bend a finger or when you turn your hand like this mm-hmm. or even like up and down movement. And he he attached those like the data that the glove is sending out from those motions to uh, a computer program and then the data like creates different sound Wow! it's very i mean we could talk about that forever because it's like he put a lot of work into it <laughs> it sounds like it but that is very interesting to it's have so the, innovative for for somebody watching and listening it's a very like direct connection you can see the movement and you can hear the sound simultaneously Mm -hmm. so there's like a really close uh connection between the two 
Wow. Wow. And, and there is and, video of that too. And I, I want to see it. Like now, now that you mentioned yeah. that, I'm like, yo, I want to see that video. Like as soon as we're done with this, I'll be looking that up. Yeah. I've got that somewhere. I think it's on Vimeo somewhere. Oh, cool. So if you weren't doing music, what would you be doing? Uh, yeah. So I, I should, uh, I should preface this by saying that I, I do have a day job at a desk. Oh. So I'm not just living off of music. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be, but I have to, uh, I have to do a little work for the man to pay my bills, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we all do, yeah. as creatives. Although the day job is music related. So if I wasn't, if I wasn't doing that, I've always sort of uh, fantasized about working at a library, like a public library or a school library or whatever. I just like the idea of uh, keeping a large collection of books and media organized and like helping the public access what they want out of it. Wow. I value libraries. How about you? I love a good library. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Came up visiting libraries in not only my town or my city in Detroit, but also the surrounding libraries around in the suburbs, too. We went to the library often, and it was like a little trip for our family. Yeah, you get, you know, you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to pay for it. (laughs) You know, it is the best. And it's like, it's not only like a playground for kids, but it's also a playground for your mind. And, you know, so it's it's exercising you in a lot of different ways. It's Mm -hmm. like an important place to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just books. You it's can get not just DVDs books. and stuff. Heck yeah. <laughs> yes, you can get DVDs yeah. and stuff. Yep. Yeah, yep. I'm a big fan of those places. I've applied to work at them periodically in my life, but it's never worked out. <laughs> <laughs> I have applied also to work at a library and it did not work out. But it wasn't um but it wasn't like over and over again. I wasn't oh, beating yeah. down their door like, "Hey guys, it's me." Yeah, yeah, I could have been more persistent maybe. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so how let's talk about the importance of having a day job as a creative because we've talked about it a little bit on the show before Mm -hmm. of doing what you have to do in order to do what you want to do yeah 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 you know what i mean yeah it's uh hmm there's kind of two sides to it because i've i've seen people you know burn out when their uh their creativity is like their only means of making money Mm. it can become its own like its own job Mm -hmm. you know in a negative sense uh but there's also i've experienced this and i've struggled with this uh having a full-time job that isn't uh directly related to the art that you want to create that you want to be making it can be really draining and it's a big time commitment to be working 40 hours a week and then to also have be committing yourself to creating art regularly it's difficult to keep that going <laughs> it is but uh i mean we gotta pay rent <laughs> we have to eat yeah yeah definitely we do uh i consider it uh kind of a negative to have to have a job i don't know about you <laughs> we could well, we could get into the politics of that, but <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't want to be either at home or doing some people would call it a hobby. Mm-hmm. Some people would call it a passion. Yeah. yeah. Who would who wouldn't rather be doing their passion or hobby full time or being at home, you know, full time being creative instead of um, how you put it working for the man? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Like, that would be a dream for most of us. That's why I think that there's a a rising uh, surge in entrepreneurship Mm. so that people don't have to work for other people and they can do what they want to do and be their own boss and things like that. Right. So that's why it's so important in the music industry to know the business side of it, too, Mm -hmm. to not just think that, oh, I need to know all of my theory and it just stops there. I wish it stopped. I wish. I mean, that would be great. (laughs) Yeah. But but that would mean trusting other people that did their homework and the business side. And you want to be there with them. Right. Yeah. And you can be taken advantage of if you don't know what's going on. you can totally be taken advantage of. And in fact, a lot of people are being taken advantage of. (laughs) As we speak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That may be a good time to mention that the I Hear, I See concert series uh, does pay all of its performers. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's something we committed to last summer because it's uh, it's not fair that uh, artists should be expected to do their work without pay, you know? 
it's a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of energy that you put into it. And it's nerdy because you have to study. Like, <laughs> Yeah, there's lot. years of work that it's go into years making of work art. That yeah. goes into it. Yeah. You know? So was your family always super supportive of you? Because you said you started young. Like- right, yeah, yeah. I started singing at school and church when I was, you know, seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my family's always been great. I, uh, Like I said, I got that guitar from my grandma, yeah. so that, that was nice. Um, uh, my parents rented a violin for me when I started doing that in fourth grade. Um, and then when I picked up the saxophone, I... Uh, that was actually my dad's friend mix saxophone that we borrowed for a few years. Uh, no, no strings attached, really. That he just let us borrow it, and that's what I played on from ages nine to, geez, like eighteen. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I played on that old Bundy two alto sax for years. All right, Bundy two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or actually, I think it's even a Bundy one. The Bundy 2 is like a standard uh, student saxophone when you're just starting out. Mm-hmm. And then the one that I was using was even older than that. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool, though. Yeah, and I'm yeah. glad that you stuck with it because so many things that children do, they start and they stop. Mm-hmm. Like me, I played clarinet Oh yeah. for like two years and was good at it. I was relatively good. And then just, you know, quit. Just because? Just because. You just weren't interested anymore? I was like, meh, I don't want to do this anymore. I didn't want to practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. That's always, that's always a struggle. Yeah. I don't want to practice, and yeah. I've been doing this for 20 years, you know? <laughs> exactly. So let's talk spirit. Okay. So how do you express yourself spiritually? Uh, I don't know that I do. <laughs> okay. Not necessarily intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned that I, I sang at church. Uh, so I, I grew up going to Methodist churches pretty frequently uh both my dad and my mom's side uh were big methodist goers and uh so i lived in lincoln nebraska we went to church there then we moved to cedar rapids and i i got involved with um saint paul's united methodist church up there uh made a ton of friends there that i still talk to pretty regularly nice uh and then as i got older i sort of re-examined what about religion was important to me and what what did I want to keep in mind and what did I not want to really worry about anymore (laughs) and how do I express myself spiritually now uh I don't know I mean do you see do you see me expressing myself spiritually in the short time we've known each other in the short time in some way that I'm not aware of (laughs) I know that you have a lively spirit I can see that there's light in your eyes oh okay (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, there's you're not like going around like a zombie or Eeyore, like you you have a Eeyore, yeah, you know what I mean, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Like you have a jovial side of you that that comes out pretty naturally, you know. And so for me, that means that you're committed to some sort of positivity in your Mm. life. That means that you're committed to it. That is that it's a part of your being, and so it shows the way that you treat yourself and the way that you treat those around you. You've been respectful, you've been patient, and you've been kind. So those things for me go align, excuse me, align with spirituality. So yes, I can say that you've been, (laughs) that you've been expressing yourself spiritually, you know, in just being those things. Well, that's good. I'm glad that I'm uh, expressing myself that way because I I do value those things being helpful and mm-hmm. and nice to people i think yeah. that's that's good <laughs> yeah yeah and when we talked earlier we talked a little bit about your exploration mm-hmm. in spirituality because you said that you did grow up in the church right um and then you kind of you know cut that out a little bit as you mm-hmm. got older and it was probably around college that that happened yeah when i was uh, 18 or 19 mm-hmm. I, I sort of started uh looking a little more critically at my own belief systems and that's so natural. Right. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everyone has that Everybody story. Has that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But go on about yours, though. Sure. Okay. So I I can remember in uh, confirmation classes when I was 13, I think, um, we would spend some time sort of examining other, other religions. I remember looking at Judaism and Islam and, uh, you know, other sects of Christianity. I remember specifically uh, learning about Mormonism and Calvinism, which was really interesting to me. Oh. Um, and part of part of that uh, 
exploration of other beliefs was looking at them with a little bit of a critical eye and sort of discerning like what's similar about this system to the system that I'm currently uh, subscribed to, I guess. <laughs> what's different about it? What's similar? Why, why don't I believe in this instead of this? And I could sort of see like what, what diverged, what wasn't me about this other belief system. And then I could say, okay, I learned about that and it's not me. So mm-hmm. I'll move on. Moving on. Yeah. And, but at the time, because I was so surrounded by this Methodist community, it was like, I'm not really comfortable <laughs> uh, examining it in that same critical way. Like, I'm not, I'm not really going to look at my own beliefs with the same critical eye as that. Uh, and then I got to a point where um, I wasn't necessarily as intertwined. Like the other aspects of my life were not as dependent on my life in the church. So I did sort of start drifting and examining my own beliefs in the same critical way that I had looked at those others and realized, you know, there are certain things about this that I... I'm no longer comfortable with. I don't really uh, believe the same stuff I used to. So I'll keep this and I'll not worry about the rest for now. <laughs> and you know, that's that's totally noble. Like there was uh, a spiritual guru that once said, like, pick a flower from each religion or pick a flower mm. from from each faith and make a beautiful garland. Oh, that's cool. You know? I've never because, heard that. Yeah. And in that sense, you get some truths from and from the creator, from the ultimate, and from the higher minds that are in our world. You know? Right. There's something something in a in religious all of belief, them. right? Like pretty much in all of them. There wouldn't be people devoting themselves so seriously Devout. to these belief systems if yeah. there was nothing to it, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, there's a thread of truth in all of them that speaks pretty much the same thing in most of them. If you've learned in your studies, there's things that separate, but there's also things that tie together. And for me, it's those things that tie together that I like to walk on the righteousness path with. Like those those commonalities between religions. I'm like, okay, well, this must be really true if all of these religions are saying the same right. thing. Yeah, there are definitely shared then values. It, then that, you know, they're shared yeah. values. So I'm like, okay, but they also align with the universal laws, the, the laws of the universe a lot of the time. Hmm. And so, you know, if it's that way, then I feel like that's ironclad and you can't really go wrong there. Sure, yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, what What are the universal laws? Oh, I don't know if I'm Google familiar them. with the concept. <laughs> you've got to Google them. But there's some like... Um, the, the law of cause and effect, you know, like what you do unto others will be done unto you basically. Mm -hmm. Um, the law of positive energy and gratitude and the law of attraction and things like that. Things that you might've learned in like books called like the secret. Have you heard of the secret? Uh, I think I've heard of that. Who wrote that? Yeah, totally. Um, a lot of people actually. Okay, it's a bigger. There were a few doctors that wrote it, but one doctor in particular that had a big impact on it was called, um, or his name is Michael Bernard Beckwith. Okay. And he's a spiritual advisor for Oprah. Okay, that's probably where I heard about the secret. Yeah, I remember that. You probably heard. And he, (laughs) he has like he. I think he might have cut his hair, which is. Phenomenal because I never would have thought he would have cut cut his hair, but he had long locks, brown skin, like more fit, mm-hmm. and he has a church in L.A. called um, Agape okay. International uh, Church or something like that. And so no, but he so you know the premise is you you what you think is what you become, and what you think is what you manifest, and things like that. Um, and also what you put your energy into will manifest as well. So it's not just thought, it's thought with energy hmm. into manifestation. So um, it goes into metaphysics and and all that jazz. It's deep. There's a movie too if you want to just like chill and watch. Not, not with me. I mean, not, <laughs> not like, that was an invitation. But like if you ever if you ever had like time, if yeah. you you know, to just sit and just watch a good movie, The Secret would be a good one to watch. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, so the exploration part is is so interesting to me because there was a guest a few weeks ago um a philo- philosophical guest a philosopher mm. that's the word that i was looking yeah. for um who was talking about how the holiness is found in the seeking of religion in mm. the seeking of of truth and enlightenment and it's not just the the end all like the actual destination because there is no real destination it's a constant journey what do you think about that yeah so the uh the journey is more important than the destination, yeah. I guess, is what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense because, uh, I mean, people people generally don't stay the same for their whole life or even for that long would amount of time, that, right? But... <laughs> you're always, you're always th- uh, changing. The thoughts in your head are always evolving. I would hope that the more you take in information and the more you communicate with other people the more you learn about uh yourself and existence in general and that would mean that you never stop evolving so there's not really an end point to reach it's just a constantly constantly growing uh understanding of life mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. did i like phrase a, that okay you totally did <laughs> you're like a forever student <laughs> yeah right you know right. i was looking there was a commercial that came on my phone which is a little creepy because i think my phone's listening to me mm. which it i'm sure it is, is yeah. listening <laughs> to me and it and there's like this spiritual commercial that comes on and the the guy that looks like a guru comes on and says that every teacher has a teacher so that there, so that there are no absolute teachers except for the absolute and the ultimate, right? So that there's just a cycle of students. Right. Everyone is. Everyone's a constantly student, learning constantly from the guy learning before. From the yeah. guy before, yeah. right? Or the woman before. Right. I didn't mean to be <laughs> exclusive there. No worries. <laughs> the person we, before. We got it in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, so everybody's constantly learning, which is so, which is why it's so important for us to help each other for us to interact with each other, mm-hmm. if even not just in a church-type setting, just in life, like right. to just smile at the person on the street because you don't know what kind of day they're having and how you might affect their day. Right, and I think you and I have had a, an effect on each other. We've mm-hmm. only known, known each other in person for a couple of days. But, right. But, I mean, just hanging out a couple of times, we, we've learned from each other, I think. I think so. <laughs> I've definitely grown a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, totally. Yeah, that's why I was saying that our energy is so cool. And and I could tell that you have some ingrained spirituality in you because of the way that you come off to the world. And so is that like, in, is that, do you think from your upbringing in church or um, from maybe missionary work that you've done before or things like that, like helping people or being nice? Yeah, some of it, I'm sure it is. Uh... I don't know. There's no way, really, for me to know what I would be like if I had never stepped foot in the church. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have learned the same things elsewhere or what. But uh, specifically, I mean, in when I was in high school is when uh, Hurricane Katrina happened. Mm. And so uh, we went on a couple mission trips down to Mississippi. Um, I think that was 2006 and 2007 is when we went down there. And so I... That was like my first real like hard service, you know, like working hard to fix something to help people uh, in like a very taxing way. Like it was difficult work, you know, we were uh, putting new shingles on roofs and, you know, gutting out uh, flooded buildings and stuff like that. And uh, even divorced from any sort of like uh, spiritual or uh i guess theology like the value of helping somebody without without being compensated for the work and just helping somebody that needed to be helped and didn't really have anywhere else to go uh that definitely informed who i am now like regardless of any anything outside of of just physically helping people that needed help and so that that informs me like socially and I guess politically now 
even if I'd no longer ascribe to the same uh, religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. To get in there and get your hands dirty. Right. And just, you know, people need help. People need help. You should and help. One day, yeah, you should help. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Somebody has to. And one day it might be you. Of course. Yeah, yeah. There's also uh, the golden rule, you know, you should help people because maybe they'll help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, But I mean... Whether or not, you know, you get anything in return, it's it's good to do that. Like, they, they tell us that when we're very young, but despite its simplicity, it's very true. And how did it make you feel? Like, did it feed your soul at all? Like, helping those people and being a part of the action and the solution? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't think it would have had the same effect if it hadn't. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I can still remember, like, that feeling of... Uh, because it's a, a you know a big group project, the feeling of like a close knit community working on a difficult project like that, and and the feeling of like making a difference in somebody's life, whose life had been, if not ruined, severely affected by a natural disaster. Yeah. And yeah, the feeling of like improving and their never life. Never mind the politics behind everything well, that happened. We, yeah, we're not sure. we're like dancing around that. <laughs> but like, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It was literally devastating. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, even seeing that with your own eyes, that devastation from a natural disaster had to have some kind of like movement, you know, on you and just being being there and part of history. You're literally a part of history. Yeah, I guess so. so. Thank you yeah. for helping. And also, I think it's important that uh, there were tons of people helping. You know, yeah. like and and looking at you know how how my work in that recovery was very small, like in the grand scheme of things, I I only did a little bit, but everybody was doing just a little bit. So together, we did something more important that had a bigger impact. So you know, a a collective action was very important there. Yep. Yeah. You know, Mother Teresa says something like that, that we cannot do grand things, but we can do small things with great, you know, vigor. Mm-hmm. And that's what you did. You did exactly what Mother Teresa said. And you kind of just like chiseled at it to make a sculpture. Right. You and know? there were, you know, thousands of other people thousands chiseling of other as people well. Chiseling, <laughs> and, and now yeah. you've got, you know, David. Yeah. Or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Let's talk about the social aspects of church and the benefits of that. You were saying how you made lifelong friends. Yeah, yeah. I made. I was making friends, you know, when I was very young that still are important to me, the friendships. Um, just because uh, I was uh, regularly going to this place with people that were in a similar situation. We were all collect uh congregating that's the word yeah. we're all congregating in this space you know once or twice a week so you get to know each other pretty well when you're spending that much time together and uh this was important for me i was also playing guitar at church services like once or twice a week so it also you know gave me uh, a stage presence that i may not have had otherwise because i was playing an instrument i didn't know super well <laughs> in front of people frequently so, you know, getting better at it and getting better at just performing in front of people. Uh, yeah, so it had a, an effect in two major ways, I would say. I made a lot of important friends and I made progress as a, as a musician and a performer. Yeah. So you think that it definitely was a positive and good thing that you grew up in the church? I think so, yeah. Yeah. If, but again, I don't know where I would have ended up if I hadn't. Yeah. Maybe some something else would have taken its place. I don't know. <laughs> Probably nature and or just more music. Yeah, maybe. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't think you would have been you would have chosen like the streets or something. No, like. I, I wasn't really uh vulnerable to that, I don't <laughs> yeah, think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but but if with no limitations at all, where would you be with your music? Oh, no limitations at all. No limitations. <laughs> what do I consider my limitations right now? Uh, probably time, mm. you know, because I, I have to spend time, like, making money mm-hmm. to keep a roof over my head. Uh, I'm married, by the way. I don't know if we discussed oh, that. No, cool. <laughs> yeah, so I'm in a partnership where we do that together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ashley, if you're listening, hello. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Hi, Ashley. <laughs> uh, so if I didn't have that... Uh, 
you know, lack of time impeding me, I think I would like to be maybe traveling more often, like seeing, you know, I've, I've played shows at the bigger cities in the country a couple times, but, uh, but to be able to do that more regularly and to have, you know, the money and the time to travel and just perform for people, that would be, that would be it for me. Yeah. And I would hope that you would travel in style too, <laughs> that you would travel comfortably. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, because you can travel on a dime. <laughs> yeah. Right. But holy moly, if you can travel comfortably, that would be. Yeah. I, I can put up with some uh, discomfort. So. <laughs> I know. What else do you do creatively? We know that you play the guitar, the saxophone, the... What else do you play? Uh, I play a little bit of keyboards. Keyboard. I was um, going to say piano. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, it was in my head and it just wasn't coming out because I wanted to confirm. Piano. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I play I play clarinet poorly. Okay. But that's, you know, sometimes you're playing like a, like a musical theater gig uh-huh. and you need to be able to play other woodwind instruments okay, yeah. so i've i've picked up a little bit of clarinet from that um what else do i play you know bass guitar uh since i played violin a little bit as a kid i have a little bit of ability on the the bowed string instruments but i'm not not at all like you know a performer on those no we have a cello at our house but i'm not <laughs> i'm not you know bringing it out to the bar <laughs> um and what i am most uh enthusiastic about right now is organizing these concerts like mm. helping i play at the concerts regularly uh so i'm helping give myself some performance opportunities and also like trying to bring up the next you know generation of people as well i'm trying to give people a boost you know yeah, like empower them yeah give them a paid gig to bring their music out to people and uh it feels good to like be fostering a community like that where we're all supportive of each other and we're all like trying to boost each other's careers yeah and you can have a snack too right yeah it's, yeah these shows are usually at like coffee shops or bars where food oh. and drink are available oh even that i was talking about the money aspect oh yeah yeah, yeah. we can pay snack. for our yeah, own food exactly. you can <laughs> of course pay for your own food yeah yeah so what else do you do creatively uh what have i not mentioned yet um i don't know if you like cook or you try to paint or oh, write, right, or write right, poetry right. or um i i don't really like expressing myself with the written word very much so (laughs) (laughs) so i I try not to do that too much like books a lot so i just assume i do like like reading but uh but not not the inverse i guess (laughs) (laughs) yeah i try not to write too much it just isn't the way i like to to express myself yeah i guess um i'm also not a great cook either now that you bring it up but (laughs) but i do like just throwing a few things into a pan and like seeing what i can make out of it (laughs) okay okay yeah so talk about your degree in composition like what does that mean because to me it it just means like you have to know a lot of theory right and for people that don't know and and people that don't know what theory is it's the language of music how to read music yeah it's it's, uh, music the the backstories and all that stuff yeah so music is a it's an auditory art i guess is the the simplest way to explain it and and music theory is like people's best attempts at explaining in words or images how music is constructed and how it uh how it interacts with our our logic or whatever uh and so i went to co-college in cedar rapids for my undergrad i got a degree in composition and then I threw on a degree in saxophone performance right at the end. Nice. <laughs> and then I came here to the University of Iowa and got a master's in composition. And so so what a composition student is doing while they're in school is uh, a lot of back and forth with different people. It's a lot of communication. So, But what you would think is that it's really like a person locked in a room with a pencil and a paper just scribbling out music mm-hmm. as much as possible. And that's how it starts generally, <laughs> is that you, you spend some time alone like working out a musical idea on paper. Um, but I don't consider that the most important part of it. 
so once you once you've got your idea sort of written out in a way that you're comfortable with uh most of us are going to composition lessons with a professor who is generally just a person that's been calling themselves a composer longer than you (laughs) (laughs) and uh and they you know look over your work and and they use their experience to kind of inform you of like things that you could be doing differently or what what's worked better for them in their in their uh compositions and it's obviously a very subjective thing since it's art so there's a back and forth there they they may suggest a change to your music that you're not comfortable with and then it's your job to push back (laughs) and and so you know there's a communication and hopefully at the end of it you have a more effective piece of music and then at that point you need to get people to actually perform the music preferably like on a stage in front of people listening to it uh and so at that point you're having a back and forth with whoever you've roped into playing your music (laughs) and roping someone in is often a difficult task in itself (laughs) because uh you know students that are at a school to get a performance degree are generally really busy practicing music for the recitals that they have coming up or like if they have a particularly difficult uh orchestra piece coming up on a concert so not all of them are jumping at the chance to play new music by somebody, another student at the school. It's a different kind of music, generally. Some of them aren't interested in that. So you've got to find like that core of people that want to play new, crazy stuff that's being composed by their peers. You know, it's not everybody. But once you've got somebody who's agreed to that, you have another back and forth with them because they know... They know how to perform on their instrument better than you in most cases. So they may have suggestions about the music that you've given them. And then, you know, you you take their experience into consideration and you maybe evolve it into an even more effective piece of music. And then uh, what else is a back and forth? <laughs> you and the audience. Yeah, right. I mean, the the music itself is a form of communication in some ways. You know, you're communicating a musical idea to a group of people and audiences aren't always interested in hearing new music. Again, they may be more interested in music in their headphones, you know? So so you're, you're hopefully drawing in some people that are interested in what you're making. And that's another back and forth because you may want to adjust what you're creating to appeal to a different group of people. Mm-hmm. So what makes an effective piece of music? Yeah, again, it's really subjective, right? Yeah, that's so hard. (laughs) Yeah. I guess you have to take into account uh, what do you want the music to be? What what effect do you want it to have on on the person that's uh, performing it or the person who's hearing it? Or maybe your intent is just to write it and show it to, like, another composer and have them be impressed by you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it it depends on what you're trying to get, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I feel like an effective piece of mu- music would bring some sort of emotion to on some level or yeah. something. For I'm, some people, I'm, yeah. I'm, conf- I'm comparing it to theater because that's my medium. Yeah, right. And like an effective theater piece either teaches you something, has you thinking about your own life or the lives around you, mm-hmm. or has you entertained and and make you like escapism. Right. You know what I mean? And I feel like music can do the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. It can have the same effects. Um, for me, I mean, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at music maybe differently from your average person who hasn't spent a lot of time well, yeah, creating yeah, your their master's own, degree you know? in uh, So for me, what I'm looking for when I listen to a piece of music is just something different, mm. you know, like something that I haven't experienced before. So it's like uh, I'm constantly trying to broaden my horizons, and that's what makes an effective piece of music for me mm-hmm. is if, like, something different happens and that sticks in my mind. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think I think other composers think about it similarly. So innovation. Right. I yeah, innovation or 
just something new. Something new. <laughs> yeah. What and yeah, innovation or something new built on built on the old, a new rendition. Right, maybe using something a new old in a new or way. Something like yeah. that. A new innovative way. <laughs> yeah. So who is your favorite composer? That's a big question. Uh, so when we when we discussed this the other day, uh, my first my first inclination was to say Frank Zappa, and you know, there's a quote by him on that board behind you. I just there realized. Is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I guess the reason Frank Zappa appeals to me is a uh, somewhat biographical, because he uh, he pretty much started out with nothing. Like he he just had this like record of music by a guy named uh, Varese a composer and it's like very experimental weird stuff especially for the time so that like painted his image of like what music was and what he wanted to make and uh so he was writing orchestra pieces when he was pretty young and just like trying to get them performed and then he didn't even go to college at all so he didn't have that kind of uh community that I had where like there were people interested in performing music like that so he's that sort of pushed him in a different direction so he started a lot of rock bands and uh you know wrote rock music even though like his real passion was like this more complicated bigger more experimental music but he was able to use those ideas through rock music which uh was different from what else was going on at the time and uh he was just like a super like constant worker like just constantly making music in his basement (laughs) and so that's that's really inspiring to me just like his insane work ethic it sounds like pranks a little bit yeah yeah pretty similar uh but he was a little a little more like sarcastic i guess okay (laughs) i guess i I find Prince to be like a really sincere guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I can agree to that. (laughs) Well, those are all the questions I have for you. My last question actually is where can people find you? Oh, yeah. So uh, if you want to hear maybe the music I'm making, uh, the most direct place to find that would be my website, which is justinkcomer.com. My last name is... How do you spell Comer? Yeah, it's (laughs) C-O-M-E-R. And uh, if you're interested in the I Hear, I See concert series and radio show... Uh, we have a website for that as well. It's IHearIC.com. So it's I-H-E-A-R-I-C.com. <laughs> and uh, we also do a radio show here on KRUI, which is on Sundays at 4. All right. And, and in fact, Divine is planning on being on our show on August 19th. <laughs> that is the truth. I will be on your show August 19th, and I'll be in that seat yeah which will be different for me yeah hopefully we can dig into your uh, your experience as an actor and as a poet and and as a spiritual person oh i thank you <laughs> that would be super amazing yeah, and i'm looking and i'm so looking forward to it me too and i'm looking forward to listening to your show more often now too cool yeah <laughs> yeah 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 so thank you all for listening that has been a moment with divine that is all the time that i have for you but before we go If you have a family, I want to encourage you to not only tell your children that they can be whatever they want and do whatever they want and be successful in whatever they choose, but also to listen to them and let them tell you what their passions are and what they want to do. And then nurture those passions into fruition because you know that it will come out the best in the beginning, middle, and the end when you have that support from friends and family. Until next time, this has been Divine Huff, your host on A Moment with Divine right here on KRUI FM 89.7, Iowa City's sound alternative. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.